0: Marcus, what was your reaction to Jordan Birch running downfield with that pick six? Oh, I said he should be a tight end.
1: Which leads me to the next one: any uh, you know mad science stuff about maybe getting him on offense?
0: I'm trying. He better be playing a lot of snaps over the next couple weeks because I'm in coaches' here every single day. Like that's the most natural run and catch I've seen in a long time. Football. Chris, I'm, I'm picturing Marcus Satterfield, like, at the football facility. Shane Beamer comes out of his office to, to go get lunch, and Satterfield just pops up behind him and starts whispering, uh, Birch, Birch is a tight end, Birch is a tight end. Uh, just popping up at all times. Maybe, maybe you have a little subconscious thing going on there. I, I don't know. But, dude, um, coordinator speaking today, by the way, welcome in. This is GC Live. Brought to you by Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. Tell you a little bit more about Clint here in a second. But that that was one of my favorite parts of today's coordinator um, media availabilities. One, as I've said multiple times now, I'll reiterate how much I love the fact that we are hearing from the coordinators. And that they give us a little something, man. They haven't, they're not going to ever give you like the game plan. That's, you, you don't expect that. But you get, you get information from every single one of these media availabilities from the coordinators. I love it. And Marcus Satterfield, if you're on the video version here, you saw his face when he was talking about Jordan Birch. I, I think he had the same thought as everyone else in that entire stadium unless you were in um, Eastern Illinois Panther Blue. And it was just like, holy, you know what? This kid can absolutely fly for his size. Uh, I, I will disagree, Wes.
1: Even the Eastern Illinois people are definitely thinking that <laughs> they were no probably right, but,
0: for, but with a different emotion attached to it, I believe.
1: <laughs> yeah, that they were at first going, "Oh crap," and then it was, "Wow, that is a big man who is moving very fast," and uh, and it's not good. But yeah, I mean, it, it was, dude. I mean that that play. Uh, by the way, Sharad Go former former Gamecock from 2010 to 2014. I uh, talked with him about that play as a part of our breakdown on GamecockCentral.com that we did of, of Clayton White's defense, scheme, technique, all that type of stuff, big play breakdown for game one. And Sherrod was like, I like C and D linemen in the end zone. It, it reminds me of the old days. You know, he's talking about Melvin a little bit. He's talking about Jadavian Clowney a little bit with with how he could run, which we discussed the other day, Wes. But, yeah, I, I'm sure there's been plenty of joking Um in that football office, and there's obviously been a lot in the media setting, talking slash joking about turning Jordan Birch into an offensive player. Mike Peterson probably does not think is funny. Clayton White probably not not all that uh, not all that high on that idea of, of, of stealing Jordan Birch. But man, do you remember? I think that was probably what Jordan's junior year, maybe going into his senior year at Hammond West and seeing him playing receiver in 7 on 7 at Carolina's camp and just going wow you know i mean just that there there is zero doubt that Jordan Birch could be an NFL level tight end first round pick type of talent at tight end but what he could also be is a really 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 good defensive player and we're starting to see more of a uh, more of those signs you know popping
0: up yeah i, I was trying to remember if it was soft going into sophomore year or going into junior year because I I remember this when we when we first saw him playing tight end at that seven on seven that was at the time he was Jordan Birch he was not Jordan Birch like it was before he was like five star it was before uh, just his recruitment uh, became you know every couple years around here there's a recruitment that just sort of um, from a, and I'm talking about from the fan base's perspective. I mean, you remember how it was. Anything we posted about Jordan Burks, like it was the topic of conversation in South Carolina. Um, you know, in the fan within the fan base. And so this was well before that. And I I remember, um, I remember some like some guys on the South Carolina staff at the time were like, "That guy's an NFL tight end. Like he is an NFL tight end." But you sort of were all you were already kind of like, yeah. But he's going to rush the passer. Like that's that's kind of guys like that don't just get to play offense. That's just not that's not the way it, it works. Now I, I will say this, man. Um, and I want to talk quite a bit about the offense and some stuff we have coming up on the site and, and some stuff from Satterfield, some observations. But um, I, I will say this, man, with, with Birch, with Jordan Strong. With JJ Inigbare. I mean, I, I was looking at the PFF grades, and it's like the top four the top four grades for South Carolina, not just defensively, the top four grades, offense or defense, were guys playing either defensive end or defensive tackle. You had Birch first, which you I mean, you get a pick six. That I mean, that skyrockets your grade. But Birch, Strong, Nigbare, Zach Pickens in there as well. Um, for for at least one game, these guys have lived up to what what we thought they were going to be. But, man, I, I'm looking at Jordan Burch, actually ended, I think ended up playing the most snaps of, of any of those guys on, on defense because he was one of the guys that was playing. There were a few guys, Chris, that it seemed like they were playing with the original group, sort of rotating in with the first team group. But then they were also still trying to get them a lot of playing time with kind of rotating in with the second kind of, Later in the game, group as well. So Birch was in that that sort of segment of people that were kind of playing in rotation on both ends of the game. Um, but man, I was watching Strong, just the way he moves off the edge as well. Um, we we have we have not seen the the rabbits, the NASCAR, the um, I didn't notice it anyway. I, I don't I don't think we saw that yet. I got to think at some point there's more of an effort to to get some of those guys all on the field at the same time because the, the athleticism there is just, it's just off the charts. That's the way upper echelon, you know, SEC, edge rusher, defensive end, whatever you want to call it, that's the way they're supposed to look.
1: Yeah. And I, I'm glad you said that about Strawn. I wanted to bring him up the other day uh, during the show and, you know, he, he not gonna show up aside from on special teams. Didn't show up in the in the stat line as much, right? But he was extremely quick off the ball. A long kid. He look he looks really good physically because he's put on that weight. Lot common question we got in the offseason is is he still quick? Is he still fast? Looks like it on the field. Um dude, he, he whipped the offensive t- again, let's throw out it's Eastern Illinois. Just watching how he moved though. And the bend, the movement skills, the foot speed, he just knifed inside with a little pass rush move more than once. And so he's a guy that I think will continue here and from. I noticed that too, Wes, about what you said with kind of pairing the ones and twos at times. There were times where maybe there were backups in at D tackle and they would throw Sterling and Enigbari back out there, you know, to kind of mix and match those guys. I thought that was kind of interesting. And really from top to bottom, um, even when they were getting into number three guys or TJ Sanders and Nick Barrett, you know, uh, true freshman defensive tackles, both got a little bit of run in this game. I thought everybody held up pretty well, typically even in a game like this where one team overmatches the other. Normally, when you get down the line in, in your on your depth chart, you start to see some drop off. And now there there was some right. Um, but they held up well. So D-line certainly one of the bright spots. And uh, I think numerous people have pointed that out, players, coaches. Uh, they really set the tone, I think, the whole game.
0: Yeah, Boogie Huntley getting some run in there, uh, as we expected. Of course, Tonkin Hemingway with the second group at, at defensive tackle. So, uh, so far, so good for those guys. Uh, by the way, i got to tell you about our good buddy Clint Hammond. He is our presenting sponsor right here on GC Live. You see his info info right there on the screen if you're on the video version of the show. 803 771 6933. Or you can hit him up at 803 422 6797. NMLS number is 71597. Again, that's C. Hammond at mortgage or just go to ClintHammond.com. Easiest way to get whatever info you need on Clint. And uh, again, if you're in the market, you want to buy a new home or you just want to see if there's some possibilities out there for you to save yourself and your family some money on a refinance, uh, give Clint a shout. Promise you, he'll uh, help you through what can traditionally be a pretty uh, daunting task. Uh, he'll make it easy, make it simple, and uh, and help you through it. But yeah, man. So I, I've been sort of going through that process of, of rewatching, and um, I'm kind of on that. I, I like to, if I'm at the game, Chris, I like to do an, an at home, just sit down and watch the game, and maybe make a few little notes as I go, and then I'll go back and do like one of those more daunting where you're just sort of like um really trying to check out details of, of the game and and trying I was trying to find what what trends did we see that uh, can can we go in and like pull out what might actually be the start of a trend versus what was game one what was like the fact that yes they were gonna, they're going to rotate a ton of guys. What what was sort of more garbage time type stuff? And I'll tell you one thing that did catch my catch my attention was uh, the fact, and we, we talked about Greg Atkins and, and how he may want to rotate guys more than, than previous O-line coaches. He may get more guys in there. Um, did you notice that Ja'Kai Moore and Vershawn Lee were in the game what well before the like full on rota- rotating started to take place i i noticed live cuz i i was in the press box so the way south carolina was going towards the north end zone towards the student section i noticed pretty instantly that jakai Moore was in the game it didn't catch my attention just because jakai was like you know blocking my vision of veron lee uh, i i did not catch that Rashawn Lee was in there until I was rewatching the game. And I said, Oh, 53 is in as well. That was about midway through the second quarter that I first noticed those guys being in the game. Um, I don't know. That's maybe your fourth, fifth drive of the game, I guess. But um, did did you sort of, um, do we take anything away from that? I, I take a little bit from that. I, I know Jakai is a guy that, you and I have been pretty high on Chris ever since um ever since we we rode up there and Jakai pulled the Penn State um the the flip of the the double switch there went South Carolina, Penn State, South Carolina, and about um uh, honestly about made us had a heart, have a heart attack because we had driven seven seven, seven and a half hours to be at his announcement. Um it's like, man, it's about to be a huge, tremendous waste of time. But um, we've always been high on Ja'Kai. Ja'Kai missed the spring, so there really wasn't that opportunity to hear, oh, Ja'Kai Moore is coming on, or oh, Ja'Kai Moore is pushing at left tackle. There wasn't that opportunity. Now he's healthy. Um, That's a position. Left tackle wasn't always solidified last year, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I it makes me wonder because Chris, when when they did that, the the right side and the center position remained the same. You, this wasn't like some wholesale. Oh, we're going to give the second team line an, an opportunity. I, I I'm wondering if there that's maybe something to keep an eye on moving forward.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and look, we we haven't, or I haven't. I'll speak for myself. Haven't heard for sure if it was in game performance related or it was more of these guys deserve an opportunity to get out there and play early and let's get a good look at them and honestly that may have been it Wes because you know I, I know I think Shane Beamer addressed it right at some point after the game maybe that Tuesday press conference maybe right after the game can address remember, it right after right after the game yeah saying that you know it, it was just they wanted to get another look or a look in game at those guys and so more like you said a guy that we've been high on you know, interesting body type has athleticism. Very highly recruited guy. Rashawn Lee, not as highly recruited, but from that same area, mm-hmm. you know, Virginia and and someone that uh, South of started recruiting. The previous staff did when they found out when they were recruiting Jaquez Moore. They kind of found Rashawn Lee up there, and he's quietly, Wes, you know, been a guy that has, has already developed into what appears to be a pretty solid player. You know, and someone that has has experience now at, at tackle and at guard, and so. Um, That was an interesting move and probably is a storyline to watch because for most of the offseason, the preseason, you know, Jalen Nichols was manning that that left guard spot and and jazz, you know, most of the first team reps, it seemed like a left tackle. But, you know, after they go back and they've graded the film and check things out, be curious to see how they handle that. Or, you know, is there movement there in terms of the starters? Do all of those guys continue to play? or are we going to continue see or are we going to see like a true rotation of, of those guys whether it's those spots or maybe some other positions.
0: Yeah, I mean either way whether it was in game or whether it was planned, I think that speaks highly about um what, what those guys those guys being JaKai Moore and Vershan Lee, what those guys have been doing in practice leading into that game, um may, maybe even means a bit more if it was just that Leading into practice, they felt like those positions were close, and, and those guys deserved to play. I, I think that's that's a that's a good sign for for South Carolina and being able to build some depth um, along the offensive line because you did. You, you know we you got to remember uh, we've got to remember Jordan Rhodes was, was a guy. I think we sort of pegged as being maybe that sixth guy, maybe that guy that uh, is next in line on the offensive line. He obviously transferred out going to Ole Miss, so. You know that that's something there where if they can, these guys are coming on. That that's probably a good a good sign for South Carolina. And um, you know we'll, we'll see moving forward. I, I did think it was interesting on the offensive side. PFF, not you know, and I, I'm not sitting here saying the PFF grades are the end all be all by by any means. But uh, Ja'Kai Moore, I believe, was the highest graded offensive player for South Carolina. Now that those those numbers, frankly, get uh, skewed if you have limited snaps. And generally if I do like a top five type thing or put something out for an article, I'll be like top five guys who had 15 snaps or more top, top five guys who had 30 cent, you know, you don't want it to be skewed, but still, you know, just it, it could have been that he went in, had 15 snaps and, and, you know, it was, was awful, which was obviously not the case. He, he looked like he, he held his own. So I, I think um, that that would just be one of those things, not that anything, uh, is necessarily happening there but something to keep a um a strong maybe eye for uh moving forward. Um Chris, you got an article coming out. I'll go ahead and tease where you sort of went through painstakingly I, I would imagine pretty <laughs> much every single it was every single offensive formation uh He's in five. the game. As I was rewatching, man, you and I talked about this off the air a bit. There was a there is a very noticeable Joe Brady um, vibe to this offense and the number of tight formations that they use that that's uh, meaning essentially at one point everybody was going towards the spread and that's where you get everybody as far apart as possible this is more let's tighten everybody up but without let's tighten them up but still keep like, keep pass catchers on the field, not tighten it up, tighten it up like going goal line. It's more, let's tighten it up, but keep pass catchers on the field. In South Carolina's case, at, at LSU, it's probably more three, four wide receiver stuff. Um, if you're looking at it from a Joe Brady standpoint for South Carolina, it's probably more, uh, you know, keeping a Nick Muse or Nick Muse and Jaheen Bell in there, but let's bunch everybody up and then use, um, use picks and uh, and crossing patterns, mesh concepts, and the fact that you're bunched up creates some of those natural picks, and then you can still spread out into the rest of the field as the play is developing as opposed to really starting the play completely spread out. So that that was a trend I'm, I'm imagining. My eyeballs told me that was a trend where you getting the same thing as you were literally sort of going – play-by-play play as far as the formations go.
1: No doubt. And didn't get a final number, even though I've got it written in my notebook here, where I could, I could go through it as far as how many bunch formations Carolina used. I need to go through and grab that stat, too, as I finish off this uh, this piece that I'm working on. I was focused a little bit more on how many two tight end, two running back, three tight end sets did we see. Um, but there is no doubt that when you look at how many tight formations Carolina used, there were a lot, and that's immediately where my where my mind went, what you said, Wes, the Joe Brady type of stuff. A lot of people think about that 2019 LSU offense, and they think about chucking the ball all over the place. True, they definitely did, um, but they did a lot of it out of those tight formations. And I actually asked Nick Jones, who's uh, also a former Gamecock wide receiver, who's also doing some analysis work for us uh, this season on GamecockCentral.com about some of these tight formations, and he just explained it, as you mentioned, Wes, the, the rub routes, the pick routes. A lot of times you can get those in man coverage. It's It's meant, as Nick put it, to cause chaos. So defensive backs, when you see these tight formations or you see a tight formation with a bunch of receivers, meaning three guys there, you know, you're going to start immediately wondering how you play it, what happens if this guy goes here. You really have to communicate. So sometimes you're getting guys running free. Um, Other times you're getting guys that kind of pick the Zaquandre white touchdown Wes, where he caught uh, that little pass in the flat that was out of a tight formation. Josh van ran a really good route. He outside release kind of came back in both defenders kind of went with Josh kind of a natural pick a little bit and Zaquandre was, was open and then made a guy miss and, and scored. So we saw a bunch of those plays. Um, we saw a bunch of them in the red zone. That that was an area where they where Marcus Satterfield really really went to those types of plays. So more more comment on the you know the tight end usage in that. I'm kind of going to outline how South Carolina used Jaheim Bell, two tight end sets. There were a couple two running back sets, which may increase over the season, and some of the different formations that they used throughout the game. Uh,
0: that that um. That's an interesting observation, man, about more and more down, down near the goal line. But it, it makes sense because if you think about it, dude, you get down to the goal line. Uh, you know, most people know this. It's It starts contracting so much that it's really – it's not just about can my guy run away from somebody. Um, can my guy just get open? I feel like in the goal line is when you're – that's when your OCs are like actually making their money. You know, like there's, there's a reason why uh, teams – both defensively and offensively, practice goal line, like practice red zone. Um, if you want to sort of lump all that together um, as an actual like separate part of practice, because your your plays have to be different down there because you don't you don't have that aspect of like running off defenders all the way off because the you know the the end zone the back of the end zone to be specific basically acts as, as extra defenders for, for the defense. So I think finding a way to get guys open, um, that, that was not a complicated play by any means, but it was, it was beautifully put together. And I I think, um, you look that that's one of those plays, Chris, where defensive coaches probably call it a pick and offensive coaches call it a rub because, um, Josh van, um, very clearly was creating that contact purposefully, but doing it in a way that he wasn't just blocking the guy and getting a penalty, you know? So th- there's purpose to that, and I think it helps. With, w- one thing I think we're going to see more of, um, I-, I was re- just reading back over some Joe Brady, like content about Joe Brady, and the use of running backs as pass catchers. And the use of running backs at times, Chris, I'm wondering if we're going to see some of this running routes that you normally see receivers run, like not just your typical little, uh, you know, flat routes, um, like quick out routes, stuff like that, but, but it more truly involved in the passing game. That was obviously just a flat route, but we saw Zaquandre motion out of the backfield and then line up in the slot like a wide receiver and then uh, created the rub By doing that with a running back, if you have a running back that can catch the football, you're getting him not only you're getting that natural pick, that rub, you're also getting him matched up a lot of times with a linebacker um, or a safety. So I I think those are some things, you know, we by by no means did we see the entire offense, like the entire playbook on Saturday. I got a feeling because – did you notice today when Satterfield reiterated again – our running, he said. He said our running backs are our best players. We're we're like not smart if we have those guys standing on the sidelines all the time. So, yeah. How, how much, how many more ways that they look to get these guys involved uh, moving forward? I, I think is something that's going to be fun to watch play out.
1: It is, and, and you know, we saw, you know, a couple things on that Wes with the running backs and with some of these formations. You know, for instance. We saw a couple plays, somebody, I think it was, it was Travis, three three tight end sets on the second touchdown drive. Got those logged here. We saw a, another tight formation in the red zone on that drive. Three, that a bunch set down at the bottom of the screen, um, if you're watching on TV, and all three of them were tight ends, right? And then on the second play, They went empty. It was still a tight set, but it was empty. It was just Zeb. And then you had the three tight ends on the right side. Then you had a receiver. And then you had actually a running back split out. So, example of that for you. Another thing is, you know, we talked a lot about the concept before this first game of being able to have some guys that when you break the huddle, when you send the offensive personnel out there, you're not sure as a D.C., as a defensive coordinator, where they may line up. And that can affect your calls. You may be able to check into some different things. You may make a call, you know, defensively based on what you think they may do from what they different things they've shown. But when you have a lot of different formations and usages out of the personnel that you send on the field, it can make it tougher for defensive coordinators and for the defensive players to process what's going on. For instance, we saw, you know, Jaheim Bell is one of those key guys. He lined up out wide, in the slot, at fullback. Um, on the line tight end and offset tight end. So he probably lined up five or six different ways in the game. So on on one play, he may come out there and he may be, you know, lined up in the slot. The next play, he may go out there and play fullback, you know, and, and so that affects defensively what you're calling. there are some guys that you send them out there and you say, that guy is a wide receiver. You know, it doesn't really affect your call. Um, a guy like Bell – and then, as you pointed out, Wes, these running backs—if you utilize them in creative ways—that um, can cause some issues, and it can it can give you some matchup and some schematic advantages.
0: Yeah, so that that'll be that'll be fun to, to watch it play out, man. See see what do we see? What do we see that's new? This is a this is an ECU front that um, it sounds like, Chris, uh, kind of from a big picture standpoint. Without getting into like the specifics about their scheme versus a uh, EIU scheme and all that stuff. Beamer, and then I think Satterfield referenced it as well, that the amount of just sort of movement that they like to utilize up front and how that was something South Carolina, and if you're Eastern Illinois coming to this game last week, you probably felt like you had to do a lot of that. Like you're not, you're not just going to line up and say, we're going to get penetration against South Carolina. You're going to have to take chances. You have to bring pressure, which they did, and you're going to have to sort of um, just realize you're going to give up some big plays, but you're hoping you can create some negative plays. The staff – and I I think it was sort of hit – we saw that. It was sort of hit or miss for South Carolina's offensive line. Very well blocked, then not well blocked, as opposed to, like, just a steady, solid, just, you know, no big plays, but no, you know, mistakes either type thing. Well, if you're ECU, you're, there's going to be very much uh, that, that same approach this week, I would imagine. And you're going to have better players. Not that these are truly SEC players, Chris, but they are going to be better players by a pretty wide margin, I think, than what South Carolina pay, uh, saw this past week. So that can, can South Carolina better deal with that this week uh, will be an interesting storyline for this game.
1: It will. And I think Wes hand in hand with that is the, the downfield passing game for South Carolina, I think, is going to have to be more of a factor against East Carolina, whether it's hitting some deep balls, hitting some balls past the sticks, just having some more success in the passing game. And but part of that in the in the in the opener, there weren't tons of downfield deep shots. You know, some of that by design, some of it just kind of how it played out, right? South Carolina definitely also stuck with the run in the Eastern Illinois game, they ended up having it, what, five and a half yards of carry well over 200 yards. I mean, it it was a, it was a good day, not as good as some people, myself included, probably envisioned, Um, but it is going to have to be better. But I I think there's a couple of things with that. Number one, you know, when when you look at passing game, it's going to need better, need to be better to open those things up. And I think number two, the offensive line is going to have to play a better game and a more disciplined game. Shane Beamer made a great point that I think everybody does need to remember is in the running game, if you're not having success in the running game, everybody's going to point at the O line and say it stinks. I heard it in the stadium. I think after the first series, right? A Little early, um, but you know, go back and look at the tape of some of the run of some of the running plays early. Some of it was, you know, even Eastern Illinois overloading the box a little bit. Sometimes the backs aren't hitting the right hole. Marshawn Lloyd talked about that. Sometimes the perimeter blocking failed, whether it was receivers, whether it's tight ends, some things to clean up there. So they do need to clean it up, right, in game two. I think for South Carolina, they're, you know, what you feel good about having in your back pocket is your backs are good. Like you have some backs that can make guys miss, can run through guys, run through contact. Um, if they can play better and playing disciplined not jumping up, you know, not jumping early with some of these movements, dealing with the movements, the slants, the different things they do up front. That'll be critical.
0: Yeah, man. So uh, before we get rolling, I know we're probably got a hundred other things to talk about. You want to tell everybody about uh, some Dead Soxy socks?
1: Let's do it. So Dead Soxy is partnered with GamecockCentral.com this uh, 2021 football season. You can check out all sorts of socks on deadsoxy.com. That's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. You can check out their college lines with the Spur socks. If you're on the live stream, you see them up there in the top left. Patriotic stuff. You can check out their athletic socks, their no-shows, their boardroom dress line, their men's and women's socks. So they've got something for everybody. Go check them out right after the show. Deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y. And... Since you're listening to GC Live here, they have given you guys and girls a promo code to get twenty-five percent off your order. Use the promo
0: code cocky on deadsoxy.com to get twenty-five percent off. That is a fancy graphic that you put together there, Chris.
1: I appreciate that, sir.
0: Um what what else on offense, man? Have we have we hit everything on offense? Seems like I'm sure I'm missing something. Somebody they're asking about Rico powers down here. Did Rico get in the game?
1: I don't think Rico did. I will. I will go back and do the the uh, assistant thing and go back and look and see. Check our double check our snap count.
0: But I. Do I don't not. think Rico play. If he played, he didn't play much at all. But then Rico got scout team player of the week for offense. So so do we? You know, do we see Rico get an opportunity soon? Um, did not play. Possibly, some, you know, of, of the – I mean, I'll go back, Chris. This time last year – So actually, if we go literally back to this time last year, South Carolina was in preseason camp getting ready for the start of the season because uh, the season was delayed. And um, this time last year, Rico Powers was generating some, some buzz. He was the furthest along of the three freshmen – wide receivers um, at the time. So I I don't know, something to watch there, something to watch with Amari and Brown. Uh, Does he get some more playing time? Uh, Can tend to carry on join or sort of just bounce back from, uh, I'm sure was not, uh, you know, it's probably just was not the day he envisioned for himself. He was arguably South Carolina's best wide receiver um, for, for all of preseason based on the things I was told. So, can, can can he bounce back and let that be just one game as opposed to to a trend? You know, for him, we'll, we'll see. There there are things to look. Um, I remember what I was going to go to. Topic of conversation today. The coordinators were asked this, and um, as I as I do a lot of times, I was listening to Preston and Pearson on the radio for their noon show. There's that old adage, old cliche, that you get you make your most progress from week one to week two. Um, And our, our loyal chatters there as well can weigh in on this, but I want your opinion, Chris. Do you think that's true? Or do you think that is something that's just been repeated over and over again? Um, So it's like taken as a taken that it's true, but it's not really true.
1: I would, I would say there's some, some level of truth. It's hard to actually test that because one way would be okay. Well, let, let's see if that's actually true. Let's go back and look at you know what a given team may do in week one versus what they do in week two. Well, there's all sorts of variables there: health of the team, who you're playing. I mean, you know, there could be all sorts of stuff. Uh, one thing we hear from coaches a lot. A lot of times, it's after the first game if they lose their their opener of the season. Well, we didn't see that all preseason. I didn't see that in camp. We didn't have these issues. Well, the problem part of the problem at least is you played an opponent that was not yourself. And those issues were then exposed. So, you know, that's an understandable thing to say because there's some truth in that. So I, I do think there's a truth, some truth in in that notion that internally coaches do see improvement in their players. It's your first live action. Um there are things that you can go back and you can correct that maybe you just, you get into that first game, there's jitters, there's all sorts of things. I mean, I look at what Marshawn Lloyd said. You know, you look at a guy like Marshawn Lloyd added added layer because he had an injury and this was his first college carry and his first college carry after coming off a knee injury for a running back. But he said, Hey, I had some pregame jitters. I had to get into it, you know? So, I think he said, what, second series, third series, whatever, kind of got that out. And he played better, Wes, as the game went on. So if you kind of apply that and scale that up across the board, there are going to be guys that are going to play better. Now, that can be true for other teams, too. And so maybe it's not as noticeable on the field, you know, because other teams are also improving. But I certainly think there's some truth to that, you know, and I think teams can improve throughout the course of a year, too you know, from, from game one to game 12, you know, they can get a lot better. Sometimes they get worse depending on the circumstances.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and some, sometimes you get worse because of just, you know, injuries uh the, the season maybe goes bad and, and guys start, you hope not, but guys start quitting, you know, lot, lots of, lots of reasons why there, but I, I think, and, and the folks in the chat, I think are echoing what you're saying, uh, you know, Preston sort of said the same thing as well. Preston Thorne, it was that, look, you, you know, you've been playing against your, your, your own team. Like you're going up against your teammates. You think you, and when I say you, I mean, in this case, a coach, you as a coach think you have a good idea of what you have. Um, to Preston's point, he even said, uh, maybe sometimes you're hope you're more hoping it's like, deep down in, in the deep recesses of your brain, you're going, I don't, I don't know if our guy can do this, but you're like, I, I hope, I like, I, I hope when the lights come on, um, our, our guys got this, you know, and then there will be some guys though, that maybe they just haven't been tested in practice by someone on the level of who they're going to face on a game day. Like you said, jitters, um, Maybe they've gotten used to their teammates' tendencies, so they can sort of um, play to those tendencies as opposed to having to play uh, to, to technical form. You know, to what they're supposed to be doing. So, um, but then the beautiful thing, you get an opportunity to go correct it. You get an opportunity to to see if if it's fixable, and then if it's not fixable, at some point you make a decision. We're going to give the next guy. An opportunity that was always Spurrier's thing, he was not scared at all to to say, Look, you go, you're on the bench now, you're getting your shot. And uh, so and and sometimes it works out, and sometimes two games later, that original guy is right back out there because he was starting for a reason, and maybe you're just not very good at that position. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think there's credence to it, I think maybe. It, for South Carolina, if, if you if you don't play a great opponent, and this was part of their discussion as well, it maybe gets extended a little bit more into this this coming week into week three as well, just because you're going to have this steady like like it's it's a nice step for it couldn't have set up better for South Carolina in my opinion, Chris. Play a pretty weak opponent. Now, now go play a team that is going to test you a little bit. There's going to be a little bit of adversity. Something's going to go wrong at some point in the game Saturday. And it's going to be on the road when you're not chilling in Columbia with everybody cheering for you. Everything's happy. Everybody's smiling. Beamer debut. Um, You're going for two. You're going for fourth downs. You're converting everything. Like, you're going to have to go earn this one, I think.
1: Yeah, you are. And and then – the other part of that, the other layer to the, this, Wes, is they may, if they go out and win this game, they'll have felt like they improved. Internally, they're not going to come out and say in a press conference if they lose to East Carolina, yeah, I think we, we got a lot better, you know, from week one to week two. No, you lost, you know, right? But even if you feel like we, we did get better at some certain things, maybe some things went wrong, you ran into a better opponent for South Carolina – they're going to go play ECU and then they're going to turn around and play Georgia. Right. So (laughs) that's going to be a very, that's going to be a huge test because you may be on this upper trend and they may have gotten there. And then they're going to run into Georgia, which is going to be tough for anybody in the country, including the best teams right now in the country, teams that are top five, as we just found out with Clemson are going to run into Georgia and have problems. Right. So, uh, but, but I agree with you. And this is, I go back to what Marcus Satterfield said today in his press conference he gave a very succinct answer. He just said, "Is this more of a of a test for your team? Will you know more about your team as far as its strengths and its weaknesses after you finish up this game with ECU?" And he just said, "Yes, one hundred percent." You know, I mean, it was a very succinct answer. Um, no additional context needed because, look, we you talked about. I think you brought up the point originally, Wes. You are not going to learn a ton about the team playing Eastern Illinois unless something goes wrong. Then it's cause for alarm. If you do something really well against Eastern Illinois, it may be a strength this year. It, it you know, there's a good chance of it, but that doesn't mean it will when the competition steps up and that that really gets going this week. And it's evident that Shane Beamer, Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White, all the all the coaches, everybody involved with this program, they are very much cognizant of the fact that this is going to be a challenge, and they're echoing that to
0: their players. You mentioned the downfield passing game, Chris. I got to think um, that that's that's something we're going to see quite a bit more of. I would think maybe even as soon as this week because it was such a point of emphasis this off season. I, I my guess is that this was a game where one we we did we saw the merit out on what the second play of the game like right right off the bat that was that was the ball that uh, you know you could debate over and over on. Who's at fault? Should it have been called? Whatever, whatever. That was really the only deep ball we saw, by my recollection. By my recollection, the entire game. So we know that's going to be a part of this offense. I think much, much like you know, he even said they wanted to get uh, Joiner in at quarterback more. They wanted to to get to more of that. But they were up big. They were getting other guys in and. Sort of is what it is, right? Well, I I think you had a lot of short fields because you had you had the interception, you had two blocked punts, the running game was working, um, you were able to sort of just get these smaller chunk plays where you're just grinding down the field. You didn't necessarily have to throw it deep, and I, I'm I'm thinking it just sort of played out like that. My guess is that we don't look back four or five games from now, and we're still saying, oh, they don't throw the ball down the field enough. That was a conversation we actually had quite a bit last year, I feel like, Chris. Why are they not trying to you know, spread the field? Why are they not trying to uh, spread it vertically? Um, I, I imagine, my guess, is that we're going to see quite a bit more of that moving forward, but it's going to be up to um, some receivers to step up and, and prove they can can go make those plays for South Carolina. And, and if they do, it's only going to open things up more for your running backs, and then, of course, for your tight ends underneath as well.
1: Yeah, it's a huge key to this season. And so will it be more of a point of emphasis going forward? Yeah, because it needs to be. You know, just when you look at the opponents they're going to face from a play-calling standpoint where a lot of the teams you're going to face, you're not going to be able to impose your will as much. You know, South Carolina certainly hopes that they can impose their will even against top-top competition when it comes to, say, running the football. That's something they're going to have to lean on but they do have to stretch the field. And so from a play-calling standpoint, that's something we'll see. That's a separate item, however, from how successful will it be. And that, really, Wes, is, is the key within a lot of the games and one of the one of the bigger keys to the season. You know, they're going to have to that, – that deep ball to Jalen Brooks, you can easily survive that against Eastern Illinois, and South Carolina did, against Texas A&M you know, some of these other teams might not be as survivable. That's that's a play that you're going to have to call and a play you're going to have to execute in these games where the margin is, is much, much, much smaller.
0: Yeah, we, we got a question here from uh, Chris on Facebook. He says, do you think the defense will be as aggressive as they were last week, um, this week against ECU? Uh, I mean, I, I think, Chris, what we saw, and I don't – Chris, did you watch uh, Clayton White – uh, the stream today. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think there was as much from that. The thing about defense, you're, you're going to talk personnel. I think when, when defensive coaches talk, there's not as much scheme talk. There's not as much stuff about that. One, anybody can look at the offense and just say, and say in general, what the offense called, like it was a run to the inside. It was a run to the outside. It was a deep pass defensively. How many people – and if you're watching the game live and you're watching 100 different things, man, how many people in the stadium could you quiz after – if you quizzed them after a play and be like, hey, what coverage were we in? How many people would be like, oh, yeah, we're in cover three? Yeah. Yeah. Even even if you're watching for that stuff, it's hard to tell sometimes. Uh, Certainly live when you're watching the offense, watching the ball. Um, So – I mean was South Carolina aggressive to an extent defensively? I mean they they weren't passive I mean they ran to the football they did uh, they did bring extra rushers uh, quite a bit. I wouldn't you know as far as a scheme standpoint, Eastern Illinois was far more aggressive than South Carolina in my opinion as far as what they were trying to do like if you were to draw it up, X's and O's wise um, but I, I think and Clayton was Clay, Clayton White was talked you know talked about this today, Chris. You sort of defense. You sort of have your scheme, like, and that's kind of it's your scheme. Like you, there from week to week, you will make little tweaks. Mm-hmm. You make all different things. Um, I feel like there's a little bit more variance from what you might see on the offensive side compared to defensively. Um, for, for the most part, you're kind of going to run your your defense, and and that's going to be it.
1: Yeah, some like you said, Wes, small variances. So. Uh, maybe some new pressure packages each week. Maybe you do a little bit more zone versus a little bit more man each week. For example, I mean, um, from from what I saw, and I studied more of the offense, to which illustrates your point from last week, um, lots of man last week for South Carolina because, to be quite frank, the coaching staff probably failed even in game one. They probably matched up pretty well with, with Eastern Illinois from a man-to-man standpoint. But we saw – you know, we saw some pressure packages. A lot. Sometimes when you would see Brad Johnson add to the pass rush or blitz, for instance, that's because the running back stayed in as, as a blocker, and so Brad Johnson would would also then rush in and several times blew up the running back. Um, and a lot of times, man coverage behind that because South Carolina could get pressure with four. So that's how you call the game. We did see some zone blitzes at uh, time to time. I, I noticed one in particular. J.J. Ngbari was a stand up pass rusher. He kind of looped around to almost like a Mike linebacker position, and they sent a the blitz. So we saw some different stuff like that. But Clayton White kind of joked about it the other day. He said, I've got several years of game film from Western Kentucky. I don't have anything to hide. And so to, to back up your point, Wes, it's kind of the scheme is what it is. Tweaks, differences here and there. But overall, we kind of know some of the things that South Carolina is going to do. It's going to be about, you know, going and executing
0: those things. Um, any, Anything else from the coordinator conferences, Chris, that we did not get to that uh, that you have to say or that you think we need to hit?
1: Well, I thought there was a funny moment with a small thing, but Marcus Satterfield was asked kind of about his input on, on plays and said that the two-point conversion, which he did not have input on, he said that that was blocked better than any run play they ran all night. So he said it was beautiful. So – that was just kind of a funnier moment. But, uh, no, I uh, that and the fact that Satterfield, you know, talking about Doty's health, Luke Doty's health, didn't he use the term it was going to be close, I think he said, Wes, which, you know, was, was cool to hear because it's honest, right? We all kind of know that Luke Doty has not been coasting into the ECU game where he's just going to be everything is completely hunky-dory from Monday on. Um, we know that it's been a process and a progression, and you talked about it plenty this week that it could be. We don't know yet, unless you know something, Wes, that I don't. We don't know yet, you know, how much, you know, Luke Doty plays, although he's expected to play. So heard, heard some honesty there from Marcus Satterfield and that and, and another storyline that obviously we're going to continue to watch.
0: Yeah, that that was the first time somebody's actually sort of said it like that versus like – just the sort of more, more broad. We expect him. You know, we fully expect him to play. That was more like, okay, this could this could be like a game. It might be a game time decision, not necessarily because you're holding. You know, you're holding out uh, that little bit of edge for your. You know, for your opponent, but really just, hey, how how does Luke Doty feel Saturday Saturday early Saturday morning? You know, I I still I don't know, man. We'll we'll see. I I think if you were Handicapping it right now, I mean, I, I don't know if I could give an edge, but I, I would say the, the more it goes along, I think the closer it gets to Saturday, without you feeling like, oh, Luke Doty is definitely one hundred percent, the more the chances are that this could be like a Zeb Nolan starts but but Doty plays type situation. Although he did, you know, the other part of that was Satterfield said they really pushed Doty in practice this week. So that means he probably was able to do quite a bit as far as game plan, getting in his reps, all that stuff. The question being moving forward, how does that thing respond tomorrow? Because when you're coming back from an injury, it's not always, in fact, many times you can, you can push it through for a day, you know, for a practice. It's how does that thing respond? How does it feel, after that, the next day when you wake up, is it truly better, or do you sort of have that little setback where you're like, "Man, this this thing isn't quite where where we thought it was." So that that would be the thing to track moving forward um, for South Carolina. By the way, to, to Satterfield's point that that fake uh, the sort of gadget play there for the two point conversion that thing was well designed, dude. Like. Lots of times, uh, you know, a gadget play like that, it seems like it's more just based on misdirection. Uh, it, it's a numbers play, like you're trying to get a numbers advantage over there. Um, you're trying to catch them off guard. Did you notice there was actually – like, so, yes, there was this sort of misdirection part of it in that most teams line up. They call it the swinging gate. Most teams line up like that. They check the numbers, and it's everybody in the stadium knows – they're going to kick an extra point because then they shift and they kick it. Well, did you notice on the offensive line, there was actually – it was like a power play. Like there there was a pull yeah. – there was like a pin and pull element to it. Um, I don't know if it was the tackle pin, the guard pulled, or the guard pinned in the center. Well, I, I guess the center wasn't – he wasn't the center on that play. The center right. was, you know, your snapper. But you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't remember who was pulling and who was sort of pinning the guy in. But there was a, like, a power gap scheme element to that. And, um, and that's what really opened it up for, for Muse was because those guys were standing over there on the defense and they're all of a sudden like, wait, what? But they weren't just getting blocked. You got a big dude pulling yeah. to ram you into the end zone. And then here comes big Nick Muse. I mean, that uh, that that thing was was well designed, I think. Yeah, and I think I think Jason Turnatine ended up just kind of taking somebody and and kind of
1: pinning him out of the play, you know, on, on the edge there. So it it was well designed play, beautiful as Marcus Satterfield put it. So um, that that was an interesting one. I I don't know. I wonder where. You know, they say you know play calling is just basically stealing stuff. I wonder has that been run before? Has anybody seen that play before? I could not recall seeing it. As far as that design, that execution, was that a first? Has it been run before? That's that's the question. I don't think it's a first. I, I think that play's probably been. It's it had to have been run, but at some point, every play has to be run for the first time. So, I don't know.
0: Yeah. So how many people have run it to their tight end, like, you know, to a guy who's yes, from a personnel standpoint yeah. um, is a tight end. I I, I have confidence that ver- I'm, I've seen a version of that play be run. Now, right. whether – version, yeah. Whether that specific um, details were run – I'm sure – dude, Pete Limbo probably has a freaking stack, like a – it's probably a novel like this of special teams gadget plays. And each oh, yeah. year, he's probably like, "All right, which one of the which ones are we going to put in this year?" Um. Anyway, all right, y'all. That that's going to do it. We'll be back tomorrow. Still working on an ECU guest, y'all. Um, if you if you have a if y'all know of a really good ECU reporter, like newspaper guy, I'm I'm actually working on maybe trying to get one of their radio guys anybody knows of one that's just like really good at what they do, that you've read, getting ready for the game, uh, drop us a message in the comments there because we're, we're, we're working to, to make that happen. I really don't want to – I don't want to go this week without having one. So we'll, we'll try to find one. Um, anyway, that'll do it for Chris. I'm Wes. Uh, we'll see you all on Thursday. Absolutely, anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.